With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm your host, Andy Metz. I am going to be joined today by the editor-in-chief over at Rock Chalk Talk, Mike Plank. We are going to be breaking down, unfortunately, that, that game that we had, uh, the, the KU football game. Not the most of enjoyable topics, but uh, it definitely gave us a lot to talk about, so uh, we will get over to that really quickly. Um, just a reminder for those of you uh, that, that haven't done it already, you know, you can follow us on Twitter at Rock Talk Pod. Uh, you can email us at Rock, or at the email address is rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com. Um, please go out to iTunes, write, rate, subscribe, all that fun stuff. I um, just want to give you that, that notice quite up front. There will be, after the, the interview with Mike, we also will have um, just a quick recap of some of the other action we had this weekend. There were uh, other programs in action. We had KU Soccer. The women's soccer team had a, had a very successful weekend, and then the volleyball team um, had a, a tournament they went out to, had quite a few matches out there as well. So we will give those updates right after the interview with Mike, but let's go ahead and get over to that interview right now. And I'm joined now by Mike Plank, the editor-in-chief over at Rock Chalk Talk, um, the probably the, the one guy who's been repping KU football the hardest through all of this. So Mike, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm actually doing pretty good, Andy. How are you doing, buddy? Uh, yeah, I, I'm doing surprisingly well. Giving it at least 24 <laughs> hours after the game to actually go ahead and talk about it means I'm not nearly as upset um, just coming off the raw emotion of that game as I thought I would be. But um, So let, let's actually jump right into the game. The first thing that I want to ask, um, was there anything from that game that actually surprised you? I mean, we've we've seen your predictions and the way you've been talking about this team um, leading up to this this game, given the performance that we had, was there anything really that surprised you from that game? Uh, 
I guess I was surprised at how even the teams appeared. Um, and that, that just from a talent standpoint, from a, from a size and player standpoint, obviously the teams were, um, you know, coached differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah. one was more prepared, one was better coached, one was, um, just, you know, better disciplined, uh, you know, th- those sorts of things, um, that you can tell. Uh, but, um, you know, I, the, I was a little surprised by the outcome. I kind of figured it'd be a repeat of South Dakota State a few years ago. Um, you know, I thought we'd get down early, uh, down pretty big early, and then have to mount a comeback that would fall short. Uh, and that didn't end up happening. But, um, you know, but if, it, if it's not for a muffed punt by Nichols there late in the game, deep in their own territory, like KU loses this game by five points, by eight points, uh, by 12 points in regulation. So, I mean, it's it honestly wasn't as close as the final score indicated, if you ask, you know, in, in my opinion. Well, I mean, but you can go both ways with that. If, if Steven Sims holds on to that, you know, that pass that dropped right in at him in the in the end zone, then they probably would have already been up by that point, just given the way that the game was going. So, I mean. Well, that's true, too, yeah. So, I mean, I think the thing that surprised me most was the fact that they did look so evenly matched. Because, honestly, you know, I knew that, I knew that uh, as an FCS team that, that they were pretty successful, Nickel State was last year. But their linemen looked a lot bigger than I think you normally see from FCS linemen. I think that's usually why FCS teams have such a hard time competing is because, you know, they have a hard time matching up in the trenches. Uh, they just aren't able to get yeah. as big of, as, of guys. I don't know if that means that KU's guys are a lot smaller than they should normally be, and I guess we'll see that in the coming weeks when they, when they play against, you know, FBS teams. But... I didn't think that our guys were really undersized or anything, but it seemed like Nickel State had some big linemen, um, which should help them a lot in the FCS. I mean, I, I, if if that's indicative at all, you know, if, if KU is not undersized um, at all, then then I think they're going to have a really good year in FCS, and it may not necessarily be so surprising that they were able to, to hang with us as well as they were. So I'll be interested to see how they do next week. They play two They play at Tulane next week, so they have two. D1 teams right off the bat. And, uh, I mean, if they go out there and beat Tulane, then, I mean, they're definitely legit. If they, right. you know, lose by two or three touchdowns, then good grief. What does that tell you about Kansas? Yeah, exactly. Man, that's going to be lots and lots of fun. So, all right. So, we're, we're going to jump over to Twitter. I actually had sent out a call right after the game for, as I put it, your questions, comments, hashtag fire baby messages, and coaching hire suggestions. Um, and so we actually got quite a few people to respond and then a lot of discussion to be generated off of that. So, um, but we are going to go ahead and jump in. The first one that I wanted to kind of highlight, because I think it, it hits on a lot of different topics that we want to talk about anyway, uh, came from Logan Zane at Logan Zane 512. Um, you know, his, his response to my question was team has improved. If you can't see that, you don't know football. The only negative in terms of players is our O-line Bender under pressure all game, cornerbacks, massively better wide receiver, not bad. D was actually impressive. Special teams, great. Beatty's decision lost us the game. So there's a lot to talk about there, a lot lot to break down. But where I want to start with, you know, is his assertion that the team has improved. So I, I, want, to, I want to get your honest assessment. Looking at that game yesterday without a ton of, you know, game tape from further in the season to really look at, is there anywhere that you've noticed has definitely improved from last year? Um... No. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Um, not, I, I don't know that anything is obvious year over uh, improvement from year over year. Uh, I mean, the the special teams was was good last year. They had a they had a good punter. Um, they you know Gabriel Ruiz was the kicker last year. I think he hit seventeen of twenty, eighteen of twenty one, something like that last year. Right. Uh, I mean, he was great Saturday night. You know, he had a fifty five yarder, made his other attempt. Like he was great. Um, but I mean, the receivers are a bunch of you know two and three star guys and a couple of JUCOs, and they've always been that way under David Beatty. Um, you know, the talent is not noticeably better. The skill set is not noticeably better. Um, I, to be honest with you, I'm not a Peyton Bender fan, but I thought he looked really good Saturday night, especially in the first half. Um, I, I do think that maybe he improved over the offseason, but the line was so bad, especially in the second half, that it was hard to tell. Um, you know, so I, I think that's still a question mark, but I do think Peyton Bender got better. He He might be the guy. Um, yeah, I, I will definitely agree. I think the only place where we definitely saw an improvement was in quarterback play. Last yeah. year, you know, the, the, the offensive line broke down just as much, honestly, if not more, than they did last year. Um, you know, but Peyton Bender was actually able to make plays with his legs like he hasn't been able to in the past. Um, yep. You know, the, the, the first long drive that we had, which was our second drive of the game, we had two crucial first downs off of QB scrambles after the line broke down and people were come up, up and in his face and he took off running and gained 10 plus yards on each of them and, and got a right. 15 so, and 14 yards. Yeah. Both right. on third level. Yeah. So, I mean, that's something that honestly, if last year he wouldn't have been able to do it all. So I definitely see improvement from the quarterback. Um, there were definitely at times, especially like later in the game, they see the, the offensive line finally seemed to gel a little bit and start putting up a little bit better protection. It still wasn't great. But just even that in-game improvement of, you know, getting completely destroyed at the very beginning and at least being semi-decently competent towards the end gives me some hope that maybe the talent on the offensive line actually is better and they just haven't been able to gel because they've only had about four weeks together. Um, you know, that actually was one of the, one of the points that uh, the, the guys over on the KU Sports Hour were, were talking about before the game was that, you know, it's, not, it's impossible in four weeks to get an offensive line to gel, especially if you don't have any game action. So, like, if, if they had four games, you could potentially get them, you know, in that game action to, to come together and become competent as a unit. Uh, but they haven't had that time. So, I, I mean, I, I think we will see improvement from the line as the season goes on. But, you know, just comparing them to last year, yeah, they definitely weren't improved. They may have even regressed from last year. So, given that everything else you, you said was kind of on the same level, at least from this early look, was there any spot that kind of stuck out that was an area of regression for the team? Uh, well, I don't know if it was regression or not, but Steven Sims had a bad game, man. Um, he ended up, he had less than 30 receiving yards. I think he only had three or four catches. Um, and, I mean, he's he's not a bad player. We we know how talented he is. We know how good he is. Uh, he just had a bad game, and that's going to happen. Players have bad games. Um, but, I mean, obvious regression. I mean, yeah, you already nailed it with the offensive line. That was, that was bad. <laughs> Yeah. Um, there, there were a lot of holes in that line. There were a lot of bad snaps. Um, uh, you know, I, I, the defense, I thought, uh, looked, especially in the second and third quarter, the defense was really strong, looked really good. Um, you know, Joe Devine had 16 tackles, I think. Like, he got his season off to a great start. Um, I don't think there were a lot of missed tackles. Um, they didn't force any turnovers, though. So that's a little bit concerning. 
Hassan defense looked Hassan defense looked great. Um, he was all over the place. Yeah. Now, now, um, now. Granted, the one good opportunity. I mean, I, I don't think that that Forcade, the quarterback for Nickel State, really gave Kansas many opportunities for turnovers. There weren't a lot of bad passes on his part. The only turn- one that was questionable was that one. It was it, it, it looked like it was a wheel route that Hassan Defense almost jumped and almost intercepted it. But that was really the only opportunity that they had for it. And I think that was going to be a tough play for him to go ahead and actually get anyway. Um, they, yeah, I, yeah. I believe they actually did get credited with one turnover because of the fumble on the on the muff punt. Because of the punt, yeah. I'm just saying the defense yeah. didn't force okay. any turnovers. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I mean, technically, I guess yeah, they got they got the one turnover on that. But you're right; it wasn't the defense itself that actually got the turnover. So. Right. Yeah. So, and and that's a little bit concerning. I mean, against a lower level football club, you should probably have. I mean, at least one. But. Um, Oh, well, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of hard, though, because if, if you have a well-coached club, no matter what the level well, is, yeah, they like, were. Turnovers, turnovers are the result of either a poor game plan, so trying to, like, either poor execution, you know, either a guy doesn't secure the ball, um, or, or he, you know, throws where he shouldn't be throwing it, or really bad coaching and, like, a really bad system there. Nickel State doesn't have a bad coaching, a bad, bad coaching or a bad system. And there weren't really very many execution mistakes on the part of their players, which is an, another result of having a really good coach squad. So, I mean, I, I think against a team that's coached that well, I don't think you're necessarily as upset about them not getting any turnovers. But you would think, you know, you would kind of hope that there would be an athleticism difference where somebody might be able to just like rip one out or something like that. Um, obviously, that, that didn't happen. But, I mean, I don't think it's as much of an indictment that they weren't able to get any kind of turnovers. I think if they don't get any turnovers against Central Michigan coming up or against Rutgers, two teams that are clearly having some major issues um, across the board, then I think we have the right to be worried about not getting any turnovers at all. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so I was looking, um, Steven Sims, you mentioned that he kind of, you know, had a bad game. He ended up getting, it was four catches for 29 yards with the one touchdown. His night would look a whole lot better if he had caught that other pass um, the the touchdown in the end zone that he dropped, that would have had another 37 yards, another catch. I mean, it still would have only been five catches, uh, but he would have had about 60 yards or so, and he would have had two touchdowns. And I think anybody would have called that a very successful night for him and a good start. Um, he didn't necessarily, I think, get as many opportunities as I would have thought as he, you know, he would have had. Um, I thought that he would have more targets. From what I'm looking at, it looks like he only got about six or seven targets. So it's not like he dropped a bunch of passes or, you know, things like that. Um, he just wasn't given a lot of opportunities to really have a breakout game, uh, and which is kind of a disappointment, I think. Just you know, he is the star on your offense. Um, I think well, part of me wonders. Than, part of yeah. me wonders if Nichols purposely took that away, or if that was just a result of, you know, the the offensive line, you know, giving up six sacks and Peyton Bender being under pressure all night and having to check down. Like that thirty-seven yard touchdown pass that was dropped, like that might have been, that might have been Peyton Bender's longest throw of the game, like down the field. Like I don't remember it a was. lot of throws down the field. Yeah, it 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 definitely was, um, and and we actually saw. I mean, even on that pass, he had two defenders on him, so I wouldn't be surprised if they were taking that away actively, and he just didn't have a lot of time to get to get him downfield because Sims yeah. is, is is the kind of player that can burn people given the opportunity, but that takes time for him to actually get past them. So the one time that he actually had time to throw it downfield, he threw it to him and, and he dropped it in the end zone. So 
Um, but I mean, honestly, just plays like that, that was a really, really good throw by Bender too. So there's enough there to give me hope that they can have some improvement, but you know, getting to the kind of the next, the next area here, um, you know, and, and this actually is, is another, it's, it's one of our Twitter topics. It's, uh, we had, it's from, let's see, D Meredith, it's at D Meredith 28 talking about game management. Um, there, David Murphy says, Beatty struggles with game management, blows two timeouts in the fourth quarter, also brings in Kendrick in overtime, which is obviously going to mean a QB draw on third down. Nichols calls timeout to alert defense to that, and easy stop. So that kind of opens up the, the question of just how bad is David Beatty's game management, and which of the, his decisions in the game do you think was the worst, like that led most directly to us losing? <laughs> <laughs> so I have I have a couple I have a couple can or actually three different candidates here, but I, I want your your opinion. There may be some that I'm just not thinking of because I didn't take a whole bunch of time going back. Three I have is right. calling the timeout to ice the kicker. Um, right, agreed. Playing Kendrick, you know Miles Miles Kendrick in that overtime on that third down. Yes. Um, and then calling timeout before punting, only to get a penalty and then have to yes. put it away. Yeah, so, those were going to be my top three as well. Um, okay, okay. We'll, we'll see if we can talk it out and come up with any others here. But um, I think the most bedazzling one <laughs> is is bringing Kendrick in for one play in the fourth quarter. That made absolutely no sense. Uh, I don't remember who it was. I'm going to say it was Jesse Newell. I could be incorrect. Um, who wrote in an article after the game that you need to win or lose that game with Peyton Bender in that situation. Uh, you know, he's played the entire game except for that one series. You know, he's, for the most part, he's looked pretty good. Um, you need to you need to ride or die with your guy there. And everybody in the stadium, I kid you not, everybody in the stadium knew that was going to be a run. Uh, you know, I was standing down there in the field goal club with a buddy. You know, we, we'd made some friends or whatever. With, you know, we were talking to the people around us. We were, ha- we were actually having a pretty good time. Um, and And everybody knew it was going to be a run. Um, now what kind of run, you know, draw option, whatever, we all had different opinions on what they were going to call, but we all guessed run. And so that was, you know, that was the easiest thing in the world for Nickel State to defend probably. And, and just example, you know, 342 of, of why David Beatty's not a good in-game coach. Yeah. The, the um, smart play would have there been bring him in once Nichols calls their timeout, then bring Bender back in and run a normal play. Because at that point, Which is what I thought was going to happen. Right. Like, you know, once they call that timeout, they're like, oh, we saw Miles Kendrick back there. We're going to game plan for what it's probably going to be with him. Or if you're going to do that with him and let him do it, you know, he actually threw a few passes earlier. So it's not right. like, you know, I mean, it's not like he can't throw the ball. Like, do something unexpected. Because once, once right. they call that timeout, you know that they're game planning for what his most likely play is going to be. Um, he can do more than just run the ball. And so it would have been nice. You know, he was one for two. No, I'm sorry. He was two for three on passing on the one drive that he was in on, on the first the first, uh, the the first half there. So mm-hmm. it's not like he can't throw. He had two, two, two completions, one to Don Williams, one to Evan Ferris, had an incomplete pass to Steven Sims that, if I remember right, was just kind of a really well-defensed ball. It wasn't like he, he, you know, overthrew it or anything like that. It just was really, really well-played by the defense. So... Um, you know, he definitely has the ability to throw the ball. Like, if you're going to put him in at quarterback, you cannot put him in as a run-only quarterback. And, and that's exactly what they did. And it, I think that directly led to the loss. I think the one that's bigger for me is the icing the kicker. 
I absolutely hate the strategy of trying to ice a kicker. Um, I can kind of understand it when you've got, you know, two seconds left and you're either trying to stop them from tying the game or winning the game. You know, you're not going to be able to do anything with your timeout anyway. So you might as well use it there to, you know, play whatever mind games you can. But when you have like 52 seconds left, I think it's what they, it was, it was 50, 52 seconds on the clock. You went to go kick it. You know, you have two timeouts. If you don't call a timeout there, you have an opportunity for your, for your offense to then try to march down the field quickly and kick a field goal to win the game. You don't burn a timeout there trying to ice a kicker, you know, and then when honestly, whether he makes it or not, it's not a huge deal. And of course, then he goes on the, on the practice kick and actually misses it, which makes everybody upset, you know, and that, that in and of itself is enough to get people to be upset about icing the kicker. I, I don't really play too much into that. I'm not so worried about the outcome of calling the timeout. I just think it's bad strategy to call a timeout when that timeout is much more valuable trying to get your, your team down the field after a field goal attempt to try to go win the game. Yeah, and that's that's the thing about it is not valuing the timeouts. Um, you're exactly right. They needed that timeout for that final drive to try to go down and kick a field goal to win the game, and they weren't able to do that, obviously. And, I mean, what was he playing for overtime at that point? Like, I, I mean, he had to have been. It's, it's embarrassing. Which Which tells you everything you need to know about his confidence in the offense as a coach. You know, if – if you're at the point you have about, I mean, about 45 seconds left after the kick to march your team down the field, you know, probably have to go probably about 50 yards. If you don't think that your offense has the ability to get 50 yards in 45 seconds and then kick a field goal, then why are we even like, why are you even using that offense? Like, well, they, they here's have the to thing. be able to do it. They, they should have used. Here's the thing is they should have used a timeout as soon as they stopped Nichols on fourth down. They would have had, um, I think, a minute 20, a minute 30 left. The clock is stopped. True. You know, and then they get, you know, that's not really icing the kicker. That's just stopping the clock. Right. That, and then that, the kid goes out there and, hey, he missed it. Great. You know, we're going to win now. Or, hey, he nailed it. That's fine, too. We have a minute, a minute and a half left to drive down the field and try to kick a field goal. So, you know, Clockness, I mean, that was that was Andy Reid-esque. I, maybe he went to a seminar this offseason. I don't know. But uh, it, it was bad. Yeah, it was it was really bad. So, all right. So, so I mean, I, I think that kind of – now, talking about game management in general, though, I mean, I, I think I agree with what seems to be the consensus on Twitter is not necessarily that the players are the problem here. Like, the clear number one issue with this team – is Beatty's game management. Like, if we had a different coach that was making different game decisions, do you really, I mean, do you think that we have enough talent in place to really overcome, like, everything else uh, if we had, had had a competent person calling play? Uh, you know, I I don't know. I definitely think they have talent at the skill level positions. Um, uh, I would have, and I'll comment on this on RCT later on this week, but I would have liked to have seen the running backs utilized more. Um, Puka Williams, our you know stud freshman recruit, was um, announced as unavailable, I guess, for non-disciplinary reasons. But twenty, thirty minutes before game time. Yeah, that um, that sounded like it was more of like a family slash personal type issue. Um, yeah, or maybe he had some kind of lingering injury from camp or something. You know, we don't know. Um, yeah, but, I mean. It, it could but have they been still had Khalil Herbert. Yeah, 
but they still had Khalil Herbert. They still had Dom Williams, and those two guys got 18 carries. That's not enough, especially against the lower-level team. Again, <laughs> the lower-level team thing, you got to be able to, to beat those guys up and establish the run game and open up the offense. Key had 255 yards of offense. They averaged three-point-some-odd yards per play. It, it was It was embarrassing. It really was. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think better play calling could definitely help this team out. I do think they have talent at the running back position. Um, it just and it just wasn't utilized. Uh, you know, they threw 38 passes and they handed off to their they they gave the ball to their most talented guys 18 times, and that's out of out of 70 offensive plays, and that is not good enough. Yeah, I mean, I would I would argue you can probably say about 25, um, including the the attempts over to Sims, but, um, cause I mean, I, I do think okay, that, that's fair. I do think that Sims is probably the most talented guy on the entire team. Um, unless you wanted to throw in like a, a Daniel wise or a, or a Joe Deneen or something like that. But especially on offense, I think Sims is the most talented you need to try to get it to him more, but if they're going to take that away, then yeah, you've got to turn to that running game more often. Um, it, it's got to be successful. Like the only thing I think that stops this team, like there's two main issues that stop this team from being a competent team, which are both gigantic issues. Obviously, biggest game management. Um, but the second one is the offensive line. And if the offensive line doesn't get it together, I don't care who's calling plays. There's no way that they're going to be successful. The thing is, though, that game, you know, gave me enough from the offensive line to think that that is going to get better as the year progresses. It's not going to make a difference, though, if we can't take up, you know, can't call plays that will take advantage of that. So, yeah. Okay. So, uh, jumping back over to the Twitter uh, Q and A. This is uh, via Casey Holton. Uh, he says, "Why does Beatty think KU should be the only team in the FBS to start an immobile QB? Uh, also, is it bad that said immobile QB is also inaccurate?" Now, granted, I, I'm, I'm guessing this question is coming out of frustration because what he's saying here, I don't think Peyton Bender is an immobile QB. Um, but, and, and then in terms of like the accuracy of Bender, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think this is a fair question? Um, or, and, and then even if it's not a fair question, I mean, do you like, what are your thoughts on it anyway? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't think it's entirely fair. I do think that, you know, he's frustrated like we all are, uh, which is fine. I mean, that's, that's great that he feels like that. You know, that's great that there are, still enough KU football fans out there that care enough to be frustrated right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, so that that's awesome. Props to props to that guy for even asking that question. But, um, you know, sure, Bender's not, you know, I, I don't know, Dennis Dixon or Lamar Jackson or, uh, you know, whoever, you know, Baker Mayfield, you know, he's not that kind of mobile QB, but, you know, he did show that he can make something with his legs when the play breaks down. Um you know, and, and he didn't show that last year. Let's be honest. Uh, and, and so there's a little bit of improvement there. And you know, again, yeah, he's not Todd Reesing. He's it's just not his game. Uh, but uh, you know, college football as a whole is moving in that you know spread option. You know, multiple run pass options per play. Uh, you know, for the quarterbacks, college football is definitely moving in that direction, and has been for some time now. But um, you know, you don't have to have that to be successful in college, I don't think. Um, you know, the, 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 what, traditional pocket passer, I guess, is that the phrase we're looking for? Um, yeah. You know, that's still, that, that's still a thing. 
Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't, schools like USC and, um, I, I don't know, help me out. The, I mean, there's plenty of schools that, that use and recruit and, and win with those kind of quarterbacks. So you don't have to go the other way. Uh, sure, it's more exciting for the fans. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I don't think you have to go that way. Um, obviously I would prefer to go that way. Um, you know, I'm kind of on the board, the triple option train. Um, uh, you know, yeah, let's run the ball. Let's run the ball 60 times a game and throw it 10 or 15 and, and, you know, see if we can win games that way. But yeah, we'll actually uh, get to that in a minute because that was a, a, the only coaching hire suggestion that we actually got. But, uh, okay. but yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, I think we're on the same page here though, that Bender really isn't in a mobile quarterback. Um, but even if that was the case, like the only reason that that would be a problem is because of the line's inability to protect him. Like, if you have a good line, it doesn't matter what the quarterback's able to do because he's going to be able to take all the time he needs to get the throw out there. Um, I would also argue that Bender really is not that inaccurate of a QB. I mean, sure, he doesn't – you know, he was he was 19 to 35, but there was at least three or four drops that were in there. There was a, a few overthrows from, like, throwing it away. Uh, there were – I mean, there were a couple throws, especially late in the fourth quarter when they had the wind at their back where he just overthrew a guy. And part of that is difficult because – you know, if the wind's gusting, you can't always get the right amount on it. And part of that is just him him not throwing it. But I mean, 1935, yeah. he's and it know. was a windy, it was a windy night. There's a pretty stiff breeze out of the south. Yeah, um, and, and it was a windy night. So I mean, yeah, I mean, is he the most the most accurate QB that we've had in a long time? No, absolutely not. But he's not like the you know the inaccurate, unable to throw, can't get the ball anywhere where it needs to be. If he was such an inaccurate QB, we would have seen at least one or two interceptions and we didn't see any. So he was making good plays. He played what I would, what I would consider to be a quote unquote game manager type role where, you know, he was able to take off and run when he needed to. He, he made decent throws, but he didn't do any kind of risky throws trying to force anything in there. Normally right. that's the kind of performance you want from a quarterback, especially on a team, you know, that doesn't have that standout talent, a lot of good offensive line play or anything like that. So I'm not upset with starting Bender. Like I think he played well enough to justify giving him the the QB one position, but um, you know there's also absolutely no indication um, that he's going to survive behind this line if they don't if they don't get better. And there's no indication that Beatty and staff has actually taken that into account that they actually understand that that's kind of the biggest issue that we have. Um, there doesn't seem to be any kind of game planning around the offensive line issues. Uh, around the strengths that we have from our quarterback. So I think that's what's more concerning than actually starting Fender. So, yeah. Any, any other thoughts on that real quick? No, I think, I think we're good there. All right. So yeah. So the next, the next Twitter Q and a, this is via, uh, it's at Casey Dave 85. He says, why can't we just hashtag fire Beatty before the next game and use an interim, which honestly I would not be opposed to. Um, can you, before we get into the reasons to go ahead and do that, can you think of any particular compelling reasons to not fire Beatty at this point? I mean, and I'm not talking no, about like no. end of season firing. I'm talking about like saying tomorrow, Jeff Long says, Oh, by the way, Beatty's been fired. Right. Um, I mean, the only thing I, I, as good as it would feel <laughs> for, for those of us who still care, right? Um, I, I don't know that it accomplishes anything other than, you know, making us feel good, I suppose you could make an argument that it sends the message that 
losing football games and just failure in general is not going to be tolerated at KU. And that would be a good message to send, I think. Um, but it, it, it doesn't, nobody's going to take the job in September. Nobody's going to take the job in October. It doesn't give you a head start. It doesn't, it doesn't make the candidates line up and, you know, beat your door down and send in resumes and everything else. Uh, you know, th- there's no, I don't know that there's any practical advantage to firing him after week one, uh, you know, as much as maybe we all want to. Um, you know, I could see maybe firing him after week six, after the bye week. I could see maybe firing him after week 10, which is the K-State game, and you've got Texas and Oklahoma left. Like, come on, we're not winning those games anyway. Just go ahead and, and get him out of here and, and let people know that the position's available and that, you know, uh, you know, we're on the lookout for a coach. You know, later on in the season, fine, but – I, I don't know that anything is gained by by firing him now, other than you know, mm-hmm. hey, we just fired a guy who's three and thirty four in three plus years. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think the other issue, like normally, the reason for not firing a guy so early in the season is because you're talking about recruiting. You don't want to lose most of your recruiting class. Right, um, right, but that's, but that's like, not I mean, a concern. Right, that's like the main impetus for not, I think, firing. Like usually, that's one of the biggest reasons to keep a guy around is because you don't want to lose the recruiting class this early and trying to have to find a way to replace them. But they've only got two people in the recruiting class right now. It's not like they're going to be trying to replace a bunch. And at that point, then you can say, look, you're not you're not going to be playing for a David Beatty. I mean, sure, some, a guy like Tony Hall is going to try to be recruiting to, I guess, an unknown situation. But it's, I think it'd be very easy for someone like him to go in there and say, look, you know, we've had all of these problems. You recruit using Jeff Long and, instead of David Beatty. Because as it stands right now, as long as David Beatty is there as the head coach, you have to recruit into his system. You can't go out there and say, you know, well, he's probably going to get fired, so come along because of Jeff Long. You know, I mean, there's no, there's no really um, positive hope looking forward as it stands right now if David Beatty is there in terms of a recruiting sense because well, everybody, and I wonder, everybody knows at this point that he's gone. Like, there's no way he survives this right. unless they somehow – There's no doubt now. Right, unless they somehow make a bowl game, which obviously uh, nobody can predict that ever happening with this team so you know like that literally now i wouldn't have said it before the season but that literally now is the only way he could save his job is if they somehow rally and win six games and go to a bowl yeah and and i i wonder if you know what you just talked about when recruiting i wonder if that's why david Beatty got this fourth year was because of the class that they brought in because of uh puka williams and corion harris yeah which i think is fair like i mean I also agree with the sentiment of when when Jeff Long got hired, it didn't make a lot of sense to make a coaching change at that point because it was going to be way too late to get anybody in there to get a decent system to potentially do any better than we thought David Beatty was going to do. So it was like there wasn't a, a, a huge advantage to that. Plus, then you bring in, you know, you give him an opportunity with his own recruits with what is arguably the best Kansas recruiting class we've had in a very, very long time, um, just with who we had at the top. And Best recruiting class since Gale Sayers. <laughs> yeah. So, but that I mean, but that, <laughs> but that at least gives him, you know, an opportunity to go ahead. And if he surprises everybody and turn, somehow turn into a competent coach, like it made sense to go ahead and get him this year. But losing this quickly right off the bat to Nickel State doesn't give you any confidence for what's going to happen the rest of the year. Like there literally now is no reason to keep him around, um, other than it doesn't make sense timing wise for when you're trying to hire a new coach. And I think that's a very poor reason to keep a guy 
if the, you think there can be any benefit gained in terms of changing attitudes around the program, um, you know, giving potential um, coaches that are on the staff a, a fair shot to show why they should be allowed to stay on the next staff. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to allow that process to continue to move forward. But I do agree, like we're not going to be hiring anybody in September or in, or in October to take over the program. Like the hire isn't going to happen until the end of the year. So if if that is really your thinking is that it's not going to going to help us at all and you can't find any of those good reasons, then it doesn't make any sense to fire him now and pay him to just go, you know, sit somewhere. Uh, there has to be some sort of tangible benefit. I don't I don't know that you can necessarily get a tangible benefit other than, you know, goodwill of the fan base. I mean, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think honestly they would probably draw more fans to home games the rest of the year if Beatty's no longer there. Um than if they leave them there. Because I know there's tons of fans who are actively not going to games that are not donating money because Beatty is still the head coach. Like I've seen it all over Twitter. There's tons of people that are talking about, you know, they've been getting solicitations by email, trying to get him to raise money, and they absolutely refuse as long as David Beatty's the coach. So there, there's, I think there's definitely some more unconventional reasons to get rid of Beatty now than there usually are, just because of the unique situation that we've been in, how bad this program has been. And how obvious it is to everybody at this point that Beatty's not going to be able to turn it around. So, all right. So I promised we were going to talk about it earlier. The the triple option play. Um, we actually did get from. Let's see. It's at Oray two two two. His one suggestion was that that KU needs to go to the triple option. Um, you know, he asked about all the people that run the the, the triple option. Do you ever see any of them? having any kind of problems, you know, they're, they're usually pretty competitive. They're, they're making bowl games, all that Georgia tech, uh, Navy, a bunch of teams like that. So what, what are your thoughts on the triple option? Like, do you think, do you think it's worth going to just because it's something different or do you think the way that KU's personnel is set up right now would lend itself pretty well to the triple option? Um, honestly, both. Um, I'd be willing to give it, I mean, five, six years ago, I may not have, been quite as on board with it as, as, as I probably am today, uh, just because, you know, we, I, I'm okay with trying something different at this point. Um, and there's a number of triple option coaches out there that we talked about over the summer. Um, the Navy coach is not coming here. So let's get that out of our heads now. Uh, right. He's already turned down Arizona and BYU in the last three or four years. He's not coming to Kansas. Um, the Army coach may be an option. Uh, we don't know what his contract is because Army doesn't release that information, but um, I think the buyout's probably pretty, pretty reasonable. I think he makes about $1 million a year from what we can tell. Um, so I think he'd be an option. Um, Paul Johnson at Georgia Tech, I don't know if he would leave Georgia Tech to come to Kansas. Maybe right. he has an assistant that he would recommend, uh, you know, for a head coaching job that would come. Um, you know, I mean, that guy's in his 60s. He's probably not looking for another rebuilding job. Um, but you know, maybe he's got an assistant or two that would come and, and do that. Um, th those are the big ones that I can think of. Um, I don't know that, are there any other major D1 colleges that run triple option? You got New Mexico State. Um, well, New Mexico State, I, don't, I wouldn't consider them to be a major D1, but they do run it. Oh, um, did they? Okay. Yeah. I mean, so. but they're not any good. They, they got killed by Wyoming and Minnesota the last two weeks. So. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know that you want that. <laughs> true, true. So, but um, yeah. So, uh, and I definitely think that um, Kansas has the talent to run that. I don't know if they have the line to run it, <laughs> but, but 
run blocking is easier than pass blocking, I think. Um, you'd have to ask an offensive lineman. I'm just guessing. I hope, maybe. But um, they, they definitely have the backs. Um, I think uh, Miles Kendrick ran the wing tee in, in high school, so it's not like he's never run an option offense before. Uh, he'd be at least, you know, capable of, of handling that. Now, if he got hurt, I don't know if Stanley could do it, but uh, yeah. maybe he could. Uh, but uh, you'd have to recruit a couple quarterbacks to it. But, um, you know, I definitely think they have the running backs for it. Um, and, you know, triple option offenses sometimes have good receivers. Uh, did not Calvin Johnson go to Georgia Tech when they were running the triple option? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility to to still have a good receiving core. Um, they obviously won't get utilized nearly as much, but right. You know, but when they, they do, they make big plays. Well, not only that, but they can also get utilized in the running game. I mean, triple option sure. teams have been known to run reverses and things like that as well. In, in sure. addition to that, so I mean, it's not out of the question. And but of course, by the time we implemented this, the guy like Stevenson's going to be gone anyway. But, right. but yeah, so I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a possibility. I think we can make it work, and it being so different. I could definitely see it being successful, at least for a little while. So, all right. So the final thing that I wanted to talk about, and it was brought up by our first Twitter topic, you know, is just talking about how the team is improved. Um, Logan Zane went on to continue to, to talk about how, you know, he was done with people that are quitting on the program that we still have to support the players and all of that. Um, he is exhibiting what I am calling the, the Emmett fan archetype. Um, Emmett being the popular character from the Lego movie who starts the beginning of that movie out by singing a song called Everything is Awesome. Um, he's a guy that sees the positive in everything, doesn't think it's ever too late to turn something around, thinks that everybody should be given an opportunity to be successful for as long as necessary until they actually are. Um, and while, while I, you know, he went on further to clarify that the whole point is that we can't quit on the players because it's not the players' fault that they're not successful, um, the attitude that he is, you know, saying we should be giving them more time, that we shouldn't be trying to fire Beatty at this point, um, it is what has kept this unsuccessful for so long. Um, so, I mean, what are, your, what are your general thoughts on that type of fan? I mean, are they, are they really hurting the, the fan base in general as much as I think they are just because, you know, if we have enough of those fans out there, it's, it's hard to get the momentum for the type of changes in the program that we really need at this point. Um, I mean, how, how upset with that type of fan are you? Um, or do you, do you really not see it as that big of a problem? Uh, no, those, those folks are definitely holding back. I think the program, um, and I've got an editorial coming out here on, Tuesday, I believe, is what I scheduled it for, uh, but uh, that, that addresses this very situation. Uh, uh, he he does have a point. The players deserve our support. They do. Um, you know, they're out there sweating. They're out there grinding. They're out there doing everything that's being asked of them, uh, as far as we know, anyway. Uh, you know, they're, they're given everything they have. They're giving up their youth, their body, <laughs> everything they have for this football team, for this program, for this university, for, for us, for the fans that come out and watch. Um, and they definitely deserve our support. Yeah, I mean... But, but the coaches don't. The coaches do not. They, they've they blown their chance. They've been here for over three years now. You know, we're, seeing, we're still seeing the same coaching mistakes that we saw in 2015. 
you know, uh, that we've already talked about at the beginning of this podcast, you know, the, the time, the mismanaged timeouts, the, the clock management issues, substitution issues, the play calling issues, the offensive line issues, all that stuff. Yeah. It's the players on the field making those mistakes, but that's how they're being coached. And the, you have to you have to figure out a way to draw a line between supporting the players and supporting the coaching staff. Uh, you know, if if you don't want to spend your time, spend your money watching this football team, I support that decision. That that is definitely your right. These coaches haven't earned it. They have not earned your loyalty. They don't deserve it. Uh, if you want to go out there and and support the players and and root for the team, that's great too. That I, and one person is not better than the other. Um, but, but, but the coaches have got, uh, they've got to go. This is, we, we've been a national laughing stock for, since when, 20, when did we become a national laughing stock? Probably tar- Charlie Weiss era since 2013 or 14. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was well on its way when Turner Gill lost his first game ever to an FCS school, but right. You know, Which at least was North Dakota State, but <laughs> well, right. But I mean, at least at that point, there was still some goodwill from having won the Orange Bowl a couple of years previously. Like exactly hiring Charlie Weiss and then everything immediately going to crap was like, ah, you thought Charlie Weiss was actually going to do something good. Um, as, you know, at, at that point, he had already been, I mean, as disgraced as you can get from being a Notre Dame head coach um, and failing miserably. So it's not like you know that was a good, a good, solidly. Um, accepted higher. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's when we finally started really becoming a national laughing stock. So, I mean, I, I kind of want to just end it with this thought, though, is, you know, um, one thing that he said is that uh, he, he being Logan was saying that negativity just fuels the dumpster fire. Trust that Jeff will do his job better than Zanger did. And if you can't even do that, don't have a sports page that tweets about KU football. So, like you were saying, you know, there are multiple different ways to be a fan, you know, it going or supporting the supporting the team, unfortunately is like an all or nothing thing. Like you can't, you can't only go to the game to support the players without it also seeming like you're giving some support to the coaches. Now you can, you can say that supporting the players is more important and decide to go to the game. And I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. I do agree that we should have people at those games that cheer on the players. We should have people paying attention to the program and highlighting the good things that the players have done. And we take every opportunity here on the podcast and over on Rock Chalk Talk to do that as often as possible, to highlight the good about the team, to talk about the stories that are worth talking about. But, you know, if you if you stay away from attending games or, you know, spending your hard money, your hard-earned money to actually be able to watch the game on TV, um, you know, I had to go get an ESPN plus description in order to be able to even watch the game. And if, if I had really checked out and decided I wasn't supporting the players, I would not have gone through the trouble of signing up for that and, and paying that money in order to go ahead and get those. So, um, you know, but the problem is if you decide that it's just not worth it because of the coaches, people will try to criticize you because you're not quote unquote supporting the players. It's, you know, you can't, you can't both attend games to support players and not attend games to, to, you know, voice your, 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 your displeasure with the coaches. So whichever right. one you think of those is the most important. I happen to think that, you know, unless we give them a big enough reason to make the change with David Beatty, it's not going to happen. So for the good of the program, for the good of the play of the future players that we have, it's important that we take the stand that we need to, to show how important it is that Beatty does not coach here any longer. Um, unfortunately, that means 
that the players get the short end of the stick and they don't have nearly as many people supporting them as they probably should. I will always support the players. Everything that I've ever put out there has been in support of this team. Sometimes that requires a hard and honest assessment of just how bad it is and just exactly what changes need to be made. People will continue, I think, to rag on us for our for our uh, adamant, you know, adamant opinion that we need to get rid of Beatty and some of the methods we have to go through in order to make sure that people understand how important it is. But it is that important. You know, we have to well, make sure that that change happens no later than the end of the season. And, and here's the thing, Andy, and and I feel like I know you well enough that that I can say this for you. And may, maybe I maybe I should slow my roll here, but tell tell me if I'm wrong here. Okay. So. Um, you, you don't live in the Lawrence area anymore. You live a, away from town. Correct. And, and that's fine. There's KU fans all over the country just like you. Um, you know, but I do. I live in the Kansas City area. I've gone to almost every home game over the last 10 years. And how many of these people can – and so I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, I'll put my fandom and my support of this program up against anybody. Um, and, and how many of these people who are telling me that I'm not supporting the program – um, are going out there and buying tickets and donating to the Williams Fund and and spending money in concessions, you know, spending their free Saturdays, six or seven Saturdays a year, you know, five, six hours a day or more on campus in Lawrence. Um, you know, that that's a that's a big investment. And oh, you know, yeah. I'll put my I'll put mine I'll put my investment up against anybody. And you know, if, if if Logan is doing that, then that then you know that's great. You know, he he can he's entitled to his opinion. We're entitled to our opinion. Um, you know that that's great if he's doing that. Um, if if he lives somewhere where he can't do that, you know that's fine. And you know that that's fine too. Um, you know, it, not all fans attend games. We know that. Um, not all fans buy jerseys. Not all fans buy shirts and hats. And that you know that's fine. Uh, but. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I guess I feel entitled to complain about the program however I want, uh, be, you know, because I do spend my money. I donate to the Williams Fund, um, you know, even though I think the director of the Williams Fund is an idiot, but that's well documented on RCT. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll not get into that today, but, you know, you know, I just I, – I, I take issue with people telling me that I'm not supporting the program because how are you supporting the program is my first question back to them. Yeah, well, and it, it comes down to something we talked about last year in the midst of, you know, the losing streak we had last year, where we had commented about how David Beatty continually goes into press conferences and talks about how, man, we just, you know, unfortunately, it just didn't work. He's always so positive about it. One, one of the episode titles of one of our previous episodes was Positivity Yields Positive Results. And really, the entire point of that was that was to highlight the fact that that actually isn't the case. You know, that no matter how positive we are about the program, it's not going to fix the issues that we have on the field just by being positive. Um, you know, and this is this is actually something. Uh, shout out to Warden from our site uh, at Warden Eleven on Twitter. You know, his his question when I was talking about this with with Logan about. Um, you know, we just have to face that reality. He said, you mean we can't cheer Beatty into a competent coach? And I think that's kind of the <laughs> point here is that no matter how positive we are about the program, no matter how much we want them to succeed, us having that attitude is not going to turn him into a competent coach. Right. We've given him now for over three years to show that he can be a competent D1 head coach. And, and maybe in the future he can be one, but he just, I don't, he doesn't have the experience yet to be able and hasn't learned all the right lessons. 
and had someone kind of teach him and, and nurture him along in an offensive coordinator role to really understand what it takes to be a successful coach right now. And no matter how much we want him to be, no matter how much we cheer for him to be one, it's just not going to work until he's been able to learn the lessons that he needs in order to make that happen. So, um, you know, and, and yeah, everything you said is, is absolutely true. I mean, I would have been at that game on Saturday if I lived anywhere near Lawrence. If it wasn't, you know, a 17-plus hour drive back to, to Lawrence, <laughs> I probably would have been at the game. So, um, you know, I love this program. I, I really want to be cheering for a good program. I'm still cheering for a bad program. I've, I've been a Royals fan for a really, really long time. So I know what it's like. And I've, you know, I've dealt with a team that has been absolutely horrible for decades. And, you know, I never abandoned them then. I've, ne then I've never abandoned KU football now. But it's, you know, unless we do something to show how important it is to the fan base that this change happens, there's really no reason for Jeff Long to go ahead and make that change. Um, you know, if, if the fans show that they're okay with this right now and they want to give him more time, it takes away one of the reasons that he has to go ahead and make that change. And so yeah. we need to keep that pressure up. We need to make sure that everybody understands just how unaccessible this is. It's not going to make us a bunch of friends with some people that just want to continue to pump the sunshine, but that's the way it's got to be. So and any other final thoughts, Mike, before we get out of here for the day? Uh, no, Andy, I, uh, I didn't have anything for you today, but, uh, Yep. All right. Uh, well, yeah, that's that's kind of where we're at. It's just kind of, uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, unfortunately, that's really the feeling you get after a loss like that one. So ho hopefully, yep. um, hopefully next week, you know, it's not the same or even worse. And we can actually have something positive to talk about. I would love to break that road losing streak. I think San Central Michigan is bad enough that we really have a legitimate shot at it. Um, but it is going to require Beatty to not mess up the game like he did honestly, with this one. I mean, Kansas should have won this game. There's multiple times that they should have won the game against Nichols. Yeah. And if we had a better coach, I think it would have been enough to do it. I don't know that it would have you know, been enough to give us a lot of confidence that all of our problems are fixed or anything like that. But it is yeah. very, very easy and defensible to point to Beatty as the reasons this game was lost. So, yeah. Well, right. I'll, be, uh, I'll be up there in, in Central Michigan for the game. So I'll, I will uh, witness it in person. And, oh, and, boy. Uh, be, be uh, if, if you're listening to the podcast, you have a Facebook account. Try and try and check out our Facebook page next Saturday. I'm going to try to do a couple of uh, Facebook lives from Mount Pleasant, Michigan. But uh, uh, we'll be up there, and I, I I kind of expect a competitive game, which means we'll lose by three touchdowns. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Mike, thanks thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Andy. All right. And that'll do it for today's episode. Big thanks to Mike for joining us to recap what was a a painful football game. Um, other action for the Jayhawks this weekend. Uh, the volleyball team had three different matches that they played in. They uh, went down to the Bluegrass Battle, won two games in five sets, one against Dayton and one against College of Charleston on Friday. On um, Saturday, they went ahead and played the, the headliner against number 16, Kentucky, dropped that one in three sets after they were leading two sets to nothing. So, um, a, a mixed bag of success for the for the team this weekend. They were able to play pretty well against Kentucky, though, at times. So um, I would still say it's fairly successful, especially after our talk with, with Joe Dorsey Hall. Um, the soccer team had two games this weekend as well. On Friday, they beat Utah 2-1 to one in, in the second overtime period. Um, Katie McClure came through huge with two different goals there. Uh, one to force the game to overtime, just less than a minute after Utah had scored late in the game. 
um, and then the second in the double overtime period to go ahead and make that win. And then they played uh, yesterday on Sunday against number 25 Butler. Um, they were able to win that game one to nothing on a on a huge goal there. So that that was a very very successful game, or a very successful weekend for the soccer team. They are still undefeated. Uh, their record as of right now is five zero and one, uh, with the only non victory coming in that one one draw against the uh, the the Ducks of Oregon. So really really big game for them. Um, they are in action again on September the sixth when our next probably either right before or right after our next ed- episode of the podcast is going to drop. So um, look, look, looking forward to more from them. And the only other action for the Jayhawks this weekend was the Bob Timmons Classic for cross country. Both the men and the women placed first in that event. So very successful all around for Kansas athletics this weekend other than the football team. So, um, All right, just a reminder again, make sure you guys uh, follow us on iTunes. Uh, like us, subscribe, five-star rating, all that fun stuff. It really does help to get the, the podcast out there. You can catch us on uh, on Twitter at RockChalkPod. The email is RockChalkPodcast at gmail.com. Um, you know, me, personally, I'm on Twitter as well. Um, my Twitter handle is in the show notes. You guys can follow it there. It's a lot easier to actually type it out than to say. Um, you can also find most of my other work at RockChalkTalk. So once again, I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. We will be back again with you later this week to preview the game against Central Michigan. Uh, So once again, thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Talk Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.